I never thought I'd make a video about Ticketmaster, but here I am. Literally paid about $800 for two tickets for GA. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slave's podcast about internet culture. And I hope y'all lovely listeners are doing, if not great, at least uh, stable on this Wednesday. Stability is all we can ask for in these trying times. Spring has finally sprung here in New York, which means that even though my body is currently attempting to fight the air, my serotonin levels have stabilized. And that, again, all we can ask for. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm really excited for today's episode, but before we get into that, I just wanted to give a few little housekeeping updates. We are so, 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 so close to making the hire for my co-host. You can tell by the amount of so's, like we are so close, which means a new ICY in my era soon approacheth. That means some changes are coming other than y'all not having to listen to me ruminate on Tumblr all the time. I mean, it's still going to happen, to be clear, but not as frequently. Or so you hope. One of those changes is the departure of our founding producer, Daniel Schrader. For those of you who have been with us since the beginning, you already know and love Daniel, despite his, quite frankly, superhuman ability to turn everything into a pun. He has kindly stayed with us through this transition period, which, as I have said many times before, went on longer than any of us could have planned. But now that the search for our new co-host is almost over, he's ready to move on to a different pasture. Everyone, please wish him a fond farewell in your most pun-laden fashion. And thank you, Daniel, for everything you've done for the show. I was going to try to make a pun, but unfortunately, my brain does not work the same way that yours does. (laughs) That's enough sappy shit. On to today's episode. I don't know about y'all, but... My TikTok and Twitter timelines have recently just been wall-to-wall footage of Taylor Swift's Eras tour, which I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but also it just made me remember not only, obviously, our beloved Madison, but also the entire shit show around the Eras tour ticket sales that happened back in November, which then made me recall how much I spent on my ticket to the Beyonce Renaissance tour, which I've been trying to forget since I paid my credit card bill. With big name artists like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Drake finally returning to touring for the first time since 2019, the website that controls 70% of the ticketing and live event market is probably the biggest name back on everyone's lips and their shit list. Yeah, today we're talking about Ticketmaster. Something that struck me as I was scrolling past all this Taylor content is, I remember when Swiftgate was happening back in November, I had this thought that, you know, maybe through the power of Swifties, an untapped reservoir of power, 
maybe they will finally change things. And then by the time I bought my Beyonce tickets, that thought didn't even pass my mind. The only thought that did pass my mind was, my God, I can't believe I'm spending this much money. Despite that, it does feel like we're at an inflection point in regards to Ticketmaster. Maybe that's hopeful thinking. But to put it plainly, I feel like fans, me, you, everyone else, are fed the fuck up. And it seems like so are a lot of artists. Bands like The Cure and Rage Against the Machine recently made headlines for taking on Ticketmaster's fee and ticketing structure. So to help me make sense of it all and to explain how we got here, Justin Richmond has kindly agreed to join me later in the show. Justin co-hosts the music podcast Broken Record, which has featured guests from Usher to Maggie Rogers to Tom Jones. He also recently launched a new podcast called Started from the Bottom, which you'll hear a bit more about later. The conversation we had was a lot of fun, and I hope y'all enjoyed as much as I did. Just a little heads up, Justin had an unexpected guest make an appearance during the recording, so you might hear some child noise, which I also hope you'll enjoy as much as I did. But that's enough of me or me by myself. After a short break, I'll be back with Justin Richmond. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Ticketmaster's rollout of Taylor Swift Eras tour tickets was a mess, or at least that's the general consensus. Fans lucky enough to receive pre-order status reported sitting in a line of 2,000 plus people for hours, only to be repeatedly kicked out of line. And I'm back with Justin Richmond, co-host of the music podcast Broken Record. Justin also just launched a new show called Started from the Bottom, where he interviews successful people who didn't have access to the old boys network about how they managed to beat the odds. Justin. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, you know, centered around women, people of color. I feel like we don't, um, you know, we don't have enough of that in the podcast space. So just wanted to uh, compile a a group of, you know, a group of really talented, incredible people and, and put the stories out there to inspire and and all that, you know, just like how right here we got a Zoom full of black people doing a podcast. I was just going to you know? say, we we have a Zoom full of black people. We just mentioned this before the recording started, but both of my producers are black women. You're black. I'm black, mm. which is I'm sure a surprise to my audience to find out that I'm black after two years. After all this time. This- after all they're this unsubscribing time. right now <laughs> as we speak they're like man i knew she was too woke <laughs> <laughs> something was off this whole time <laughs> so we're gonna jump right into today's topic which i'm really excited for because it's something that it's one of those topics where i feel like you notice it but you don't quite know what's going on um Usually I ask all my guests what their first internet memory is, but I thought I would tailor that question for today's show. So do you remember the first time you bought concert tickets online and who it was for? Wow. Um, I don't because I'd already been to a handful of concerts by the time I feel like online ticketing. Maybe my family, we, we were late to the internet. And the cable mm-hmm. and everything else, you know, maybe online was already really happening, online ticketing. But if I, if I, God, if I had to think what I remember having to create a profile on like AXS, which felt new around like 2006, oh, 2007 yeah. to get mm-hmm. Prince tickets one time. Um, but I know I must have had a Ticketmaster profile before that. I remember making one to try to get tickets to Coachella in 2004 not being able to afford it. Then my friend's dad just ripped off a secondhand reseller. Um, so nice. that wasn't quite uh, an online purchase. But yeah, it's hard to say, man. But I remember, yeah, I more remember physically going to stand in line at like Tower Records mm. or yeah. at the venue to like go get tickets and people would have like tents out because they had camped, you know? Like that's, yeah. I remember that vividly. That was always a cool thing growing up. Yeah, I guess the inverse of my question is, do you remember the last time that you did that, that you stood in line for concert tickets? You know what? I went, I, went, I saw Bob Dylan a year ago here in Long Beach, at the Long Beach Performing Arts Center. And I, I, I drove down, I just drove downtown Long Beach and picked up the ticket. And sure wow. enough, it was like 80 flat. I didn't have to pay any fees, nothing. Oh my God, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That never happens uh, because of the thing we're here to talk about, which is the dictatorship of Ticketmaster. Um, But before we kind of get into what the current landscape looks like, I want to kind of go back and pinpoint the moment where it became inescapable because I feel like there are a few years like maybe a decade that's kind of tapering out now where tickets were sold primarily online, but it wasn't the only option. And it's kind of a practice that's exclusively sequestered to music. Like in New York, you can go buy physical tickets on Broadway. Like you bought Bob Dylan tickets because I'm assuming he was at a kind of performing arts theater venue. Yeah. So 
Around when would you say buying concert tickets online became less of an option and more of a requirement? I mean, it sort of just like it sort of has evolved just like banking in person has sort of become obsolete. Mm. Like, so it's kind of like been a slow progression, a slow death march. Um, even though you can still do it, it's just like, is it is it really does it fit into our modern lifestyle? And it really doesn't. You know, I mean, like box office, most bo- I mean, most box offices still do hold a set a certain amount of physical tickets there. So you could go get them. But again, it's just like it doesn't really fit into the way we live our lives, you know, like mm-hmm. so. Um, but I would say it became really like kind of most prominent in the mid to late aughts, you know, 2006, seven, eight is when it became like, that's just how you do it, you know? And, and, and then it became really like, once you didn't have to print out the tickets, like you didn't have to have access to the printer too. Like you didn't, or you didn't have to stop by like Kinko's to like print it like before the show or whatnot. Like when you could just put it on your iPhone, like, I don't know, maybe again, I was a late adapter to the iPhone, but you know, like 2012, 13, you know, 14, when that just became like, okay, now he's got the digital ticket. And you can just yeah. make it, it could be real easy. Now you can you can go, you can make your Ticketmaster profile. You can spend all your money, just a quick Apple pay. You know what I mean? And have mm-hmm. your tickets right on your phone. And it's just like, you could do it from the subway, you know? Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. Yeah. You talking about printing out tickets reminded me of when, <laughs> for some reason, when we used to print out MapQuest directions before yes. going on road trips. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever did that. Wait. We were driving to the mountains and my uncle was like into technology. So he was like, yo, I have mm-hmm. these new, we used to just, you know, we just used the Thomas guide if we needed to get somewhere. But he yeah. was like, yo, here's uh, here's this thing called MapQuest. I, I mapped it and they used like satellites to like do your thing. And like, here's your GPS. And I was like, you know, like 10 or something. And we ended mm-hmm. up, we was trying to go to like, like, like Big Bear or something. We ended up in Barstow. So like halfway to Vegas. So I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> so you know? it didn't even work. It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't wow. work. Wow. Yeah. Wow. My yeah. dad used to make me sit in the front seat and read the directions off to him, which felt like a lot of pressure. As a so much pressure. So much pressure. <laughs> you had to look in the index for the thing and then find the quadrant. Yep. And yep. it was. Yep. Yep. But it what was a, scary. It was yeah. scary. What a skill to develop, though. <laughs> yes, it is. It is true. So, I mean, back to the actual topic at hand. I could talk about map quests probably for a while. Yeah. Um, let's kind of get into the problems with online ticket sales, which have existed pretty much since the beginning, right? You've got scalpers, which have probably existed since like Shakespeare and the Globe. Scalpers go back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. (laughs) I mean, many of the issues predate the internet, but the internet has just exacerbated all the problems. Yeah, because scalpers, it's now like this professionalized forum and platforms like StubHub, which is basically just for scalpers to resell tickets. Right, or even like a StubHub, like even like just like the fact that you as not a scalper, right? I assume you're not a scalper. Mm-hmm. I, I am certainly I, no, I am, nah, I, I am I not. <laughs> I don't know if you want to make assumptions like that. I might but have a side you, hustle. <laughs> yeah, I'm not mad at the side hustle, you know, here and there, but I don't think you do it professionally. But, you know, like when you just trying to like, oh, I, I bought tickets to go to the show and I can't, like, you know, I bought tickets for my fam, for me and my whole family to go see Stevie Wonder this last Christmas. Everyone got sick, so I ended up going solo. And mm. I listed the tickets. Now, like, I could have been a jerk and, like, listed them for, like, 
you know, double the price, but I just listed them at like face value. But you know, a lot of us will like list them like for hire, right? So it doesn't even have to be like professional scalping situation. It's just like, you know, just even how easy it is now to like sell tickets for higher than retail price or higher, you know, higher than what you paid for them online. It's like, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, the internet incentivizes it, in fact, because it's so easy. And that doesn't even get into the bots of it all, which also fuck up prices. Mm -hmm. But the recent kind of headline making problem, which is dynamic pricing, isn't necessarily a problem in that it's kind of working exactly the way it's intended. But before we kind of get into that, could you explain what dynamic pricing is and how it works specifically with Ticketmaster? Yeah, well, dynamic pricing is essentially the idea that instead of having a set price, in other words, this section is worth $200 front row, you know, and this section is worth uh, 150 and the sections worth 100 and the tickets go on sale and you know exactly what they're going to cost except for then you get the fees. That's how it used to be. So then we always used to be mad at fees because you knew what the ticket was going to cost, but then you get the fees. Now, if you notice when a concert's announced before they go on sale, you can't find what the price is. Mm-hmm. That's because the price is set by the live demand. So when tickets go on sale, there's a some of the level, there's some coding that happens that dictate, that determines how many people at that moment are trying to access tickets and the price is driven by the demand. Um, and so that means that, you know, especially like we were talking about with scalping, especially with this sort of standardized, professionalized scalping that utilizes bot accounts to get masses of tickets, like the demand is almost always, I think for anyone who's tried to get like SZA tickets or Taylor Swift tickets oh or Beyonce God. tickets, or if you're like mm-hmm. me, Willie Nelson tickets and in the last year, <laughs> it's like, it, it's impossible. It's impossible yeah. to get them. And if you can get them, it's going to cost you like $600 to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just tried to get Hozier tickets who I was, I thought was kind of not indie, but I was like, he's not going to sell out in a week. Impossible. Simply impossible. You <laughs> mentioning how concert tickets used to know the price, it really kind of sent me back in the same way that remembering that the little save file is actually a floppy disk because it it feels... Like, you remember that it is a thing, but it's been so far since Mm -hmm. it's been relevant. I can't remember the last time I just knew how much a concert ticket was going to cost when the tour was announced. Yeah, they don't do it anymore. You know, you could budget before. You could be like, but Mm -hmm. now, I mean, now, like, you think about it, like, it's like you can't really plan. And that's that's frustrating. And then once you get in, when you factor in the bots and these sorts of things driving demand, the the, the ticketing up, then there's that. And then once you, if you say you can buy those tickets, then there is the fee, which is the antiquated thing we used to be mad at, uh, you know, on top of that. So... Um, it's really crazy, although Ticketmaster's trying to standardize this thing called all-in. So it's like literally the price that you see when you go to buy a ticket is like, that's the price it's that actually it the price. Yeah. Wow. That'd Fees, be great. tax, everything included. <laughs> Who could imagine something as simple as that? <laughs> seems, seems simple, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of people that aren't interested in doing it, you know? Yeah. So dynamic pricing exists with other services. Like we're used to plane tickets to Italy costing more during the summer. Rideshare yeah. apps have surge pricing. But do you think there's something about Ticketmaster dynamic pricing that makes it different from those other um, services? Yeah, it's very different. I mean, as a little example, I flew from New York to L.A. recently, landed, 
checked the Uber pricing to get home and it was like $120. And I was like, yo, my home, I literally, like, I'm not that far from here. Not, it doesn't you typically cost that much. I checked, yeah. then I checked Lyft. Lyft was a little cheaper, but still felt high. So I said, let me check what a yellow cab's gonna cost me. And it cost me $30. So yeah. when it comes to, say, like ride shares or getting a ride in general, like you have a lot of options. You can check Uber, you can check Lyft, you can check yellow cab, you can call a friend, you could walk. Like you have, op- like <laughs> it might not be really feasible to walk, but at least you have the option, right? When it comes yeah. to buying tickets, an artist contracts with a certain promoter to sell those tickets. And that is the only promoter and the only place where you are able to get authorized tickets. Therefore, you have no other options, right? It's them or a scalper. So your options become really limited, you know, whereas dynamic pricing in other areas, it can demand can surge or wane. And I get why you would want to maybe increase the price of something based on that. At least as a consumer, you have other options in that scenario. In this instance, your only other option is really probably not to go. Go into debt or don't go. Go into debt or don't go. The college story in America. A story that I unfortunately relate to. Am I ever paying back my student loans? Who knows? But what I do know is that it's time to take a short break, after which I will be back with Justin to talk about Beyonce and also Taylor Swift and also maybe Drake. Yeah, we're getting a lot of names in here. Hi, y'all. If you love our podcast, and I really, really hope you do, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast, including this one. You'll also be supporting the show. I see why MI would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You'll also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, which is launching this summer. Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and Dear Prudence. You'll also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Y'all was over here thinking that the biggest battle for the Renaissance tickets was going to be actually getting a ticket. No. <laughs> the biggest battle is the dynamic pricing. But you got to get in there early enough to get that ticket for the lower else you paying your mama rent. And your rent combined. So Ticketmaster, I found out during research for this episode, introduced dynamic pricing back in 2011, which was a year after they merged with Live Nation and created Live Nation Entertainment, which is what the company is now called, and which accounts for 70% of the ticketing and live event market. Mm -hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is called Live Nation Entertainment a monopoly. But what's interesting to me is that we've had this monopoly and this concept of dynamic pricing and ticketing with us for over a decade now. But it feels like something has really shifted in the past year or so. Like, 
I saw Beyonce during Hermes Carter tour in 2014 as a broke college student, and I don't really remember breaking the bank for that ticket. I just paid, I'm gonna disclose it, over $400 for Renaissance tickets in August, and I thought that was a great deal. And that's a long-winded way of asking, what do you think has happened in the past 10 years to cause this huge change in both the experience of buying tickets as a fan and the perception of that experience, which has become, like, really negative? Well... I don't think we have to go back 10 years to do that. I think we ha- only have to look at like pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, pre-2020. Mm. And, you know, since the concert going experience has really come back after the pandemic, what exactly is causing the increase? I mean, there's certainly inflation, right? So because there's inflation, um, just from the perspective of the artist putting on the concert, like production fees are going to go way up. Like, the, the amount it costs you to hire someone is going to cost more. The amount it costs for you to purchase the gas to transport the equipment to a given location is going to cost more. The amount it takes to get a plane airfare is going to cost more. Like everything for the artist costs more. So that is going to get passed on to the consumer. The consumer is already feeling squeezed, by the way, from inflation, other areas of life, grocery store. <laughs> Uh, you know, clothing, the price of (laughs) eggs, you know, the price of milk, you know, plus you also factor in the fact that the touring industry was shut down for like a year and a half, pretty much, you know? So there's a bit of the industry itself trying to recoup money. There's a bit of things now put what it costs to produce a live performance, especially put on a live tour where you're going from city to city, that's going to cost more. And there's also the bit of the perception here, even though you can really tickets have gone up, but there is a bit of perception here also from us as the concert goer, we feel starved for a real human experience and going to see our artists. We want to go more than ever Tickets cost more, but we're also being squeezed in every possible way that you can imagine. So it's kind of like this perfect storm for like discontent in terms of the fan artist relationship. And I would say in the past, it feels like the ire of the fan largely went towards the distributor or the, the concert promoter, the ticket masters, the AXSs, the, you know, which would be the AEG ticketing service. But um, now we're seeing like the fan sort of getting irritated with the artist. And yeah. I think that's starting to change the way that artists interact with these concert promoters. Yeah. Why do you think the ire has started to shift towards artists? Uh, I think because, I mean, my guess is that the experience of being a fan has changed so much now, you know, like Mm. long gone is the idea that these artists are these like kind of like far away people like artists now more or less feel like you or me, like you feel like you can reach them, you know exactly what they're up to, you know what they're wearing, you know what they're, at least you have the perception, right? You -hmm. feel like you can comment on their posts, you can, you have access to them, you know? And so, like, the experience of being a fan has really shifted to where it feels like a one-to-one relationship. Whereas before, if you were a fan of TLC in the 90s, it felt like a three-to-many relationship. Like, you knew you were one in a sea of fans. Whereas now it feels like it's really personalized, you know? Um, And so I I think that contributes to some of it. I also think there's certain artists, like the Taylor Swifts and the Beyonce's, um, even the Bruce Springsteen's, you know, who have a lot of power. Or they're perceived to have a lot of power, maybe more than they actually do, maybe not. So I think their fans feel like, well, hey, can't you do something about this? At this point, it's been how many years have we been getting ripped off by Ticketmaster? I mean, Pearl Jam's been complaining about this stuff since like the 90s. So mm-hmm. they're going on 30 years. Like, at what point do you guys as the artists, what can you do 
to, to fix this. And if it's perceived that you're not fixing this and actually making it worse by going along with increased fees or increased concert tickets in general or, you know, going along with dynamic pricing, then you kind of view as like being almost it's like a betrayal, you know, to the fan base. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny that you mentioned kind of the double-edged sword of it feels like celebrity social media presence, which was kind of been beefed up in recent years, I feel like, largely to get away from the scrutiny of press. You no longer need to give an actual real interview to a journalist. You can be interviewed by your friend or you can post on Instagram and reach the same amount of people. But what that means is that your fans feel like they have more access to you than ever and also feel like you are beholden to them in a way that has never really existed in the world. I don't feel like any... I don't know, like Beatles fans felt like John Lennon needed to personally respond to them about ticket prices. No, the only person who felt a real personal connection to John Lennon, unfortunately, is the man that killed him, right? You had to be like a psych, you had to be psychotic yeah. to feel mm-hmm. that one to one. And we recognize that our relationship isn't real. Like that yeah. relationship he felt was not an was not real. real thing. Yeah. <laughs> but we all walk around feeling maybe not to that degree. Yeah. <laughs> but we feel some level. I, I don't know, <laughs> man. <laughs> you haven't seen some fans online. <laughs> I guess, yeah, 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 exactly. I guess, I don't know. What was that new Donald Glover show? I guess he, you know, he's. Oh, Swarm? Him. Yeah. Swarm. Maybe happen, but. Yeah, man, you know, R.I.P. Selena, there's another one, you know, it's like we used to know that these sorts of feelings we had were, that's a little misguided, you know? Yeah. Like, again, in the 90s, as an Usher fan, you knew it was one, (laughs) you were one of many. (laughs) Like, he had no, he was not beholden to you in any way, and you felt okay with being a cog in the wheel, and you knew at some level, even though they were producing music you loved, and it's an art to a degree, you also knew it was about commerce, (laughs) you know? Yeah. You accepted Mm -hmm. that, and I think uh, that feeling has gone away a lot, you know? Yeah, definitely. That actually kind of segues perfectly into the question I had about how you feel about kind of artist responsibilities. Like we were talking about Taylor Swift. When those concert tickets were released, her fans immediately implored Taylor to step in, which I think makes sense given Taylor's history with Spotify. Um, Recently, The Cure made headlines because Robert Smith basically said the dynamic pricing was a greedy scam and they were intentionally pricing their tickets low. Rage Against the Machine had a similar thing where they only had 5 to 10% of their tickets were platinum and that money was then given a charity as a kind of Robin Hood thing to highlight how much of a scam that was. And when I hear this as a fan, as someone who spent over $400 on Beyonce tickets, it makes me think that, was that not a choice that Beyonce made to have me pay $400? But that's not exactly true, right? Or at least it's not the whole story. Love and respect to Beyonce. If Robert Smith can fight Ticketmaster, so can she, okay? If Robert okay, Smith from the Cure can fight Ticketmaster, so can way. she. Now, maybe she don't want to. That's fine. That's up to her. You know, like, if she's comfortable, you know, charging her fans that amount, God bless her, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think we'd be deluding ourselves to say that Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Bruce Springsteen, et cetera, doesn't have any leverage in terms of negotiating how these concert promoters price their tickets. They might not have all the control, but they certainly have some. I mean, and we're seeing it. Look at the cure Robert Smith. He's making Ticketmaster give 5 to $10 back to every yeah. ticket buyer, you know? This, this, is, this, man, this is a man that has not been... Uh, relevant, and I love the Cure, but they ain't been relevant since <laughs> like early '90s. This is the last like record, you know, right? So I'm like, yeah, you telling me Beyonce can't doesn't have any leverage with the Renaissance store, especially after that little Dubai concert? How much she make on that? I'm just saying, you know. Listen, I listen. I'm just saying. God bless her though, you know. That's her. Yes, what she that's what she want to do, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. And half the reason I feel like we love Beyonce and Jay-Z as a couple is the way in which they've really embraced like capitalism, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and and being rich and famous. Like, that's what we love about them. Like, they feel regal. Yeah, they feel like royalty. Yeah. Which means they get um, all of our tithing from mm-hmm. Ticketmaster. Which, my next question is, how much do artists actually benefit from dynamic pricing? Because I think up until I saw what was happening with The Cure and Rage Against the Machine, my thought was this was mostly the fault of Ticketmaster and that they were the one who were absorbing all this extra money that they get rather than pricing it at one level. But wrong. Wrong. Because Ticketmaster and the like make their money on the fees. Mm. So the base price of the ticket primarily goes to the artist or to the touring production, to the management team, to the company that's putting on the production, right? So it does benefit the artist, you know, like a higher base level ticket price does benefit the artist. The reason we're seeing a Rage Against the Machine, a Robert Smith, et cetera, kind of tackle that issue is not because it doesn't, in a sense, benefit them. But I think it's because they come from a background of artistry that says that, you know, you're not supposed to take advantage of your fan base or whatever. Like, that's kind of like their whole thing. Right. That's and that's why I think they're doing it. My guess is we'll start to see artists take more and more action like them, because I think whereas Yes, they benefit from the high, the higher base price ticket cost. You know, it's sort of a risk reward thing. Like how much does that diminish your fan base or make fans less loyal to you? So it's like, I think as the ire turns from ticket promoters only and artists start sharing the blame in, uh, in the whole thing, I think we'll start to see probably artists, I imagine, be more vocal about that process. Do you think it's fair that blame is starting to shift more towards the artists? I guess in the long term of like, how do we fix this problem? It's a bit of everything. I mean, there's a lot, there's enough blame to go around. I I think it probably starts with the concert promoters, but um, yeah, I think the artists have to take some level of accountability in, t- in it also, you know, I really do. You mentioned in an earlier conversation that you think that we should be taking notes from how the Swifties handled all of this. Could you say a bit about that? Well, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I'm not, you know, <laughs> but they are like, they like Taylor, man. They don't take no mess, man. They don't take no mess. As soon as those tickets went on sale, they started rioting. It started being like... <laughs> Yo, there was it was like Black Lives Matter, but with a bunch of white chicks. It was crazy. Like they was breaking. They, yo, they was breaking windows, burning shit down. Um, and I ain't mad at them. You know, like they're like Taylor. Like they've taken on her identity, and then I feel like when they see perceived injustice, like we're gonna we we won't take it. Damn it. And uh, I feel like I mean, why shouldn't other artists' fan base do that? You know, like if I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan, and here's a guy who's been sort of sold as the artist of the working man for 45, almost 50 years. Why, why shouldn't I be pissed that you're charging me $500 for a ticket? You know, like that's mm-hmm. it's like, it's a bait and switch, man, you know? So I definitely yeah. think if we all could take a little hint from Taylor Swift or from her fans, you know, and like, you know, you gotta fight for, you gotta fight for what you think is right in this world. That is true, but they did end up paying $15,000 for tickets. So. Now I'm not saying, look, man. <laughs> But, you know, at least they're doing something in addition to like, it feels like they are trying to remedy the situation in some sort of way. And I I, I don't know how successful Mm -hmm. they'll be or not be, but it does feel like they're sort of 
uh, rallying cry did kick off like a larger thing. Like we're now we're seeing yeah. Congress getting involved and um, the FTC is looking at, you know, Live Nation, which owns Ticketmaster, is possibly running a monopoly. And so, you know, yeah, did they pay the money? They paid the money because they want to see the concert. They're Swifties. They love Taylor. But I do really appreciate what they brought to the situation because we wouldn't be having this conversation right now if I don't think it was for uh, Taylor Swift fans banning together. I do have to hand it to them. My former co-host, Madison Malone Kircher, was a huge Swifty. So somewhere in New York Times heaven, she's... She's really feeling vindicated right now. <laughs> God bless them. I, I don't I get them, but they're brilliant. like some of her music, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so some of those things that the Swifties, you know, created was, yeah, the Senate Judiciary Committee scheduled a hearing in late January, mostly in reaction to Swiftgate. The Justice Department has opened an antitrust investigation. Ticketmaster was also hit with a class action lawsuit because of Drake ticket price gouging. Oh, right. The Drake and 21 tour. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like we're at an inflection point. Do you feel... Do you feel any optimism? I'm not holding no. my breath. Okay. We've been at an inflection point with this. There's been many inflection points along mm. the way. Um, I'm not holding my breath. This seems promising to some degree, uh, but I I don't know. I just don't see. I, I, I'm not optimistic. Mm. You know, yeah. I'm just not optimistic about it. Yeah. You said there have been many inflection points along the way. What were some of those other ones? You go back to the 90s and Pearl Jam kind of basically becoming their own concert promoters mm-hmm. for certain tours. Um, there was certain government interventions around fees in the early 2000s. And when Live Nation and Ticketmaster merged in 2011, there was a whole investigation into whether that would create a monopoly. Ultimately, the, you know, the government allowed it to go through under certain preconditions. They violated all those preconditions over the last 12 years and Lovely. have been totally like, you know, not reprimanded anyway. Now we're seeing like, OK, well, they're being looked at again. What I do think is I do think Ticketmaster and Live Nation understand that um, they need to get out in front of this in some degree. And I do think they are trying to do that very smartly. They're trying to keep their image clean. And so we might see some changes in terms of, like I've heard talks about sort of like, again, the all-in ticketing, sort of in making sure when someone buys a ticket, they know exactly what that price is going to be as soon as they see the ticket price, right? Like, okay, if it's 500, it's 500. I'm not going to just charge, I'm not going to add 50 bucks to that once I add in my credit card info, um, also they've talked about certain caps. So, you know, like a maximum ticket price at certain price points. Um, so we might see some things like that, but overall, I, I think this is a system that has seemingly been corrupt from the beginning. And I imagine it's going to sort of stay that way. That's funny. Not like funny, haha, but funny in that I feel like this could be the easiest slam dunk ever from a legislative perspective, it feels like something that no one would be upset about there being some kind of change. Like from both artists' perspective, though, you know, they couldn't charge $15,000 for tickets anymore. They might be mad about that, but no one cares if Taylor Swift doesn't get to sell $15,000 tickets anymore. No one cares if Beyonce can't charge me $400 for tickets. It feels like the average person would be like, we're going back to a set price. Love it. I agree. In an age where it seems like every issue uh, has yes. is so con- so fraught, and there's so much, it's like this does seem like one of the easiest ones to legislate. And you know, with with, with issues getting more and more complex and harder to solve and harder to galvanize support around, like it seems like 
again, whatever side of the aisle wanted to make a move on this, it seems like that would probably be a pretty easy campaign sort of uh, uh, yeah. thing to try out, try it out. You know, like, oh, we we made Ticketmaster. No, exactly. <laughs> you know, we made tickets more accessible to the masses. You know, it's like, yeah, who doesn't get that? Like, you're a Luke Bryan fan and wherever exactly. in middle America, you yes. get that. You're whatever a, you that know, Morgan Wallace fan. fan. Yeah. You get that. <laughs> Like, you could really have an across-the-aisle come-together yeah. moment, and it feels really dumb to not do that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, this does feel like an inflection point, like you say, but mm-hmm. there's been many in the past, and so maybe something happens, but, again, I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath. That's fair. That's fair. It is interesting to me that what might ultimately hope fully caused Ticketmaster's downfall is the very thing that allowed it to exist, which is the internet, and that it feels like these mobilization campaigns around tickets can only happen because of social media. The only reason, if you you know about Taylor Swift's era's tour debacle, is because it took over every single social media platform for a week straight. If you're not a Swifty before this, I don't think I would have cared. <laughs> At, but as you noted, they still paid they for the tickets. They did still pay <laughs> still for the tickets. No. So, uh, I, you know, will we ever reach a point where people in mass decide to say, I am not going to go see Beyonce because of this? I clearly didn't make Again, that decision. Again, I'm not going to hold my <laughs> I think we're simple creatures, you know? I think we're pretty predictable. I think we'd rather see Beyonce and pay the $400 than miss out on principle. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, just, I don't think we're that principle. I mean, it does really feel like the only real tangible option here is boycotting Ticketmaster, which means boycotting your artists, which for small artists is terrible. Like they get most of their money from touring at this point. Um, Beyonce is fine, but the real avenues of change here feel very fraught. I don't know if you agree with that. I do agree. I do agree. I think when we're threatened with a good time, we're going to take it. <laughs> it would take a boycott beyond one fan base, beyond probably two or three fan bases. And, I, you know, unless things with the economy get significantly worse, like I, it just seems like, you know, people will just keep paying the prices. Like that's that's sort of how I feel about it, you know? Yeah. Um I think probably coming out of this, I think we'll see some concessions from the ticketing industry. I think we'll see some change, whether it's all in, whether it's a cap on on fees or prices or or something like that. We'll see some concessions, but we won't see wholesale change. And I definitely don't think we'll see the demise of Ticketmaster or Live Nation. Like those two entities are are just too strong. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying we're gonna get crumbs unless um, every single K-pop fandom. Taylor Swift fans <laughs> and also the Beehive yeah. merge together and collectively decide yeah. to boycott their favorite artists. One hundred and not go to the festival. Oh, the way, and Coachella yeah. festival yeah. season canceled. Okay, <laughs> that's never gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell yeah, you. No. It's not gonna happen, and they know that too. They know that the demand is too strong. Mm. The demand is too strong. Yeah. In some ways, we're seeing like yes, okay, ticket prices are high, but and higher than they've ever been. But the demand is there. Yeah. People are paying it. So, you know. Well, that's a very happy note to end on. <laughs> We're going to continue. Hey, you're going to see Beyonce. I, <laughs> Everyone clap for me personally. Yeah. Fuck every, you know the, rest of, the rest of y'all who couldn't afford the ticket. <laughs> Can't buy groceries, probably. I mean, but, you yo, know, we're, might not be at Whole Foods. Maybe oh yeah, we are shopping at Whole Foods right now. Oh damn! Uh-oh. Listen, oh, we haven't God. been shopping at Whole Foods for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I 
All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a fond reminiscence of MapQuest directions printed out on actual physical paper. Oh man, I made myself feel old. Anyway, please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell your friends on the DOJ investigation and the Ticketmaster about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, why does buying concert tickets suck so hard? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at sleep.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Sierra Spragley-Ricks, and me, Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online or at a verified fan presale on Ticketmaster. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.